good presence. We're in Hosea chapter 6. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about a message called the good sound. That the church has a call to stand on the solid ground of truth, which prepares us for every good work, as Scripture says. We talked about that the good works that we're prepared for are not just acts of kindness and service, but perhaps the most powerful good work in you is the good work of your sound. That there is power of life and death in the tongue. And if we could just learn to change our sound and get our sound in alignment with heaven, things would shift all over the place. I was listening to a podcast today, and they said something that was seemingly so simple, but I believe so significant. With things going so crazy in the world, in the United States, and all these things, people are looking for big moves and big things, but the most overlooked power is big things happening in many small places. And if we would just be diligent in the small things, that would cause a big shift. And one of the biggest things we need to be diligent in in the church is building community where the one thing we're doing is seeking God, and the fruit of that seeking is a change in our sound. We go from gossip to encouragement. We pray over our leaders instead of rebuking them. Whether you like them or not, they are the leaders. Why not pray for God to encounter them just as much as he changed you? It is possible. So we pray into those things and we speak into those things. Well, at the end of Hosea chapter 5, God actually tells through Hosea to Judah and Israel that he was going to be like a lion and was going to tear them apart to carry them off, lead them off to be until they admit the guilt of their rebellion and their idol worship. You see, the, the people of Israel and Judah had shifted from just a worship to God to worshiping their own thing. Um, I believe America even is on that, that bridge of do we love the United States or do we worship the flag? Okay. It, it, we're kind of bridging that line sometimes, I think. Um, there's almost like a... Um, uh, 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 a commitment to the nation versus commitment to God shifting and changing a nation. Well, God was at a place where he got tired of, of the, the, the people of Judah and Israel giving into idol worship and all these things. And he says, listen, I'm going to lead you guys to rot until you realize that you need me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to go backwards until you realize you need me. He spent the past five chapters pointing out this need to return to him over and over. And in chapter 6, after God has spoken to Hosea, through Hosea, Hosea gets a chance to speak. And he actually starts to pray. And this is how he starts the prayer off in Hosea 6, verses 1 through 2. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. I want you to notice that Hosea doesn't argue with God. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't complain about the people and tell God how good he is in comparison to a fallen nation. Because I think for some of us that can be our go-to when God is talking to you about a nation. We tend to say, God save them. 
God reveal yourself to them? Well, Hosea actually doesn't separate himself at all. Hosea says, all right, God, you're tearing us to pieces. You're doing this to us. Now let us return to you. He says, let us return. He doesn't separate himself. He doesn't say, God, let the fallen people of Judah and Israel return. He says, come, let us return. Because Hosea understands that he is in a nation that has turned away from God. So if he is in the nation but not of it, God has spoken to him for a reason. So he leads the nation, if you will. He leads as in a prayer of humility. He actually says he understands that he is not the one that God may be displeased with. But he is going to humble himself to the place of the people that God is displeased with. He is humbling himself. And many of us have heard stories and and principles and and practicalities of the reason we need to humble ourselves. But my question in reading this is, why? I'm I'm a why guy. I want to know, what's the point of humility? Because I think that we've we've painted a picture of humility in the wrong light. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. I think sometimes we get this idea that humility means to posture oneself as weak and less than. But that's not what humility is. I want to define what humility is according to God's standard. Humility is not, I'm weak. Humility is, I'm freeing myself from pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And God says, humble yourselves for a reason. Not for you to take on a false identity as weak. But he says, humble yourselves so that he can exalt you in due time. God says, humble yourselves before me, free yourself from pride so that I can be the one that gives you what your pride is trying to get. Which in itself is depending on what we talked about last week, a false breath. Pride makes you think that you can get it without God. And God looks at you and says, if you would just relinquish control and submit yourselves to me, I will exalt you in my time, and it'll be the right time, and it'll be the good time, because I'm a good father that wants great things for my people. God says, depend on my breath, depend on my life-giving sustenance, because I am all about exalting you for my purposes. So why is Hosea humbling himself, praying, come, let us return? He understands he has got to free himself from the very thing that could fuel Israel and Judah's destruction. Are y'all? Okay. So when we pray for this nation, it's not God show them and save them. It's God let us return to you. Because we are freeing ourselves from the very trap that could cause more destruction. Pride that comes before a fall. 
I would even say we've got to stop saying things like uh, that church needs to fix this and that church needs to get that and that church needs to preach this and say, God, let us, the church, return to you because we are humbling ourselves, putting ourselves as representatives of the whole thing. And there's also something called a false humility. A false humility is actually rebellion into what God has spoken over you. False humility is saying things, and this is a rhetoric in the church today. God, I'm filthy, I'm not enough, and I'm unworthy. I believe that is actually a false humility. Because my God has called us a royal priesthood, a holy people, a chosen people, kings and priests of the earth. So to say, God, I am not worthy, you're actually rebelling against his word that scripture says he holds in greater posture than his own name. He says, I have spoken this over you. Stop rebelling against my word by calling yourself contrary to what I've named you. And because you know who you are, you will free yourself from pride in that identity by humbling yourself to the place of those that need me, including yourself. True humility is this. I know who I am. Y'all pay attention. There's a lot of distraction going on. There's a heaviness in the room. Y'all feel it? True humility is this. I know who I am. I free myself from chains of pride by representing a people who might not know who they are. Hosea says it like this, I know who I am. I free myself from anything that opposes the identity that I'm a child of God. I love to depend on my Father who loves me and takes care of me. So I will not exalt myself when I know my Father's business is to exalt me in the right time. I choose humility. And he's humbling himself, representing a nation before God. And then he continues in verse 2, as we just read. He says, God will heal what he has torn apart. He will restore for one reason. So that, can we throw that back up there, Michael, verse verse 2? So that we may live in his presence. God's desire is us living in his presence. Unfortunately, the people of God have limited presence to church meetings. We've limited presence to specific times or, or movements or just what we like to call revivals. But a true revival, a true movement, is not an event that we create It is a reawakening of a people seeking God in everything they're doing. And that reawakening, that that passion for seeking him is called a revival. It's a revival of people searching after him in a new intentional way. It's not let's have revival. It's look at the revival happening in the people of God where we are seeking him because he wants us to dwell in his 
presence. Not dwell in his presence on a Saturday night. Not dwell in his presence on a Sunday morning. But dwell in his presence in your home. In the way you raise your kids. In the way you steward your finances. In the way you submit to your boss. In the way you serve your co-workers. Dwell in his presence in all things. In all places. At all times. That's what the Father wants. And he says, I want it so bad that I will tear apart or destroy or cause something to rot for a purpose for my people to return to me. You know what the goodness of God is? Do it your way and you live in hell on earth. His goodness says, I will allow you to experience something you were never designed for so that you would literally gasp for the breath of God. Why does God want us in presence? Because there are certain things that will only produce in the right atmosphere. I think one of the most incomplete truths that we say in the church is you got to get good seed in good ground. Y'all ever heard that? Good seed, good ground. I heard Damon Thompson say this once. He says, you can take orange seeds from Florida and put them in the most perfect ground in Nebraska. And you, you can have the good seed and get it in the good ground, but guess what? It ain't going to grow because you're missing one thing. It's good seed and good ground in the right environment. And what happens is we can do great things with great causes. But if we don't humble ourselves to the need of his presence, we can grow really large with absolutely no fruit. You see, the interesting thing about the trees in Nebraska is that the orange trees grow. They just never produce oranges. And I, I, I fear that what has happened in the church is that we're trying to get good seed, our offerings, our tithes, our service, our attendance, and we put it in good ground, the meeting of the people of God, but we forget to humble ourselves to all that is nothing without his presence. And if we want a people to change or a nation to change, if we want a region to change, we must understand it can't be a great leader or a great organization. There needs to be the right environment. Jesus actually demonstrates this in Luke 5. Verse 17, it says, It happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You catch that? Then, behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. Now, I'm sure you know what happens. The paralyzed man gets healed. But look at the principle here. You can bring a sick man in the church and he won't get healed. Because it can't just be the good seed of a man or the good ground of a church. If, verse 1, if the power of the Lord is not present. If the environment is not right. You get into striving for God to move instead of abiding in the promise that he does. We get in this posture where 
we're, we're, we're almost praying, God, do it, God, do it, but we haven't humbled ourselves to the need of God. We want your power here because it's not our words. It's our words in agreement with your presence. And we read scriptures like, well, when two or more come together and agree and two or more gather together, he is here. But we have to understand that the two or more gathering have to be people that are already humbling themselves to their need of personal presence. Because I, I, I can go to a concert where two or more gather, and let me tell you, God ain't going to move in that thing. We, we, we kind of had that empty rhetoric. Well, we're gathered together. Well, we're in the name of Jesus. Well, you can gather in the name of Jesus and God not be there because many will call on my name and I will say to them that I never knew you. It's, there's got to be a personal uh, pursuit of God. I want you in every part of my life. It's all of us willing to go to a place so that when we come together, the environment that is produced is simply agreement from personal pursuit. And when we start seeking the presence of God, you learn how to do difficult things like hold your tongue. Or, you know, not post the thing. Right? Everyone's laughing, and it's, it's kind of funny, but I, I know personally I, I'm, I'm guilty of that all the time. I posted something on Facebook today that was seemingly, I thought it was an okay thing. I, I posted... Um, uh, you know, everyone wants the church to be a hospital for the broken, but we don't send any, any of the doctors to medical school. You're the, you're the doctors, by the way, if you didn't get that. And a, a, a pastor friend commented and said, well, we're just the receptionists. We're not the doctors. And in my flesh, I just commented, no. And then I was sitting next to Randy and Susan at the part when this happened. I, I looked at Randy. I was like, man, that, that, no one can just leave me alone. And, but then really quick, I commented again with an explanation. Because in my flesh, I was like, you know, beep, beep, you know, <laughs> not the roadrunner. <laughs> but then after I explained it, the guy re replied, he said, good point. I imagine if I would have not have redeemed that, I wonder what could have happened. We've got to get to a place where we're seeking his presence to such a degree that anything is willing to be corrected, and you've humbled yourself to agree that the pride that can destroy that relationship yes. is put away with, yes. is done away with. Why should we speak things that exalt ourselves above the Lord? We've got to put ourselves in a humble posture to represent a people. In essence, we're saying, God, I know who I am. I know the power in me. But I'm going to humble myself to their level so that my authority as a child of God works in a way that depends on his timing and not mine. God, I am representing a group I am not a part of so that you'll hear my prayer that will transform them. What's the point of humility? I am not like the world, but I humble myself to put myself in it and say, God, let us return so that the power in my voice that they don't have pulls them out. So we've got to start changing the rhetoric from God save them to God save us. Not God heal them, but God heal us. 
It's a humble posture of if we're going to represent for redemption, then Lord, us, we, we the people. This okay? The biggest way we prevent presence is we depend on our own wisdom and understanding. And we tend to only use that wisdom instead of posturing ourselves in presence. Because when you get in presence, you learn how to be shifted by the winds of the Holy Spirit. But your understanding can prevent yourself from moving with the wind because it simply doesn't make sense. And what doesn't make sense to us, we, we, we literally line up the voice of God with our own understanding and tell God that, doesn't, that does not line up with my Bible. We try to limit God to our understanding instead of being willing to adopt a kingdom understanding. There's a a passage in Job that's really interesting, chapter 28, verses 23 through 28. It says this, God alone understands the way to wisdom. How many of you believe that? He knows where it can be found. He looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. He decided how hard the winds should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws for the rain and laid out a path for the lightning. Someone say path for the lightning. Then he saw wisdom and evaluated it. He set it, let me say it, he set what? Wisdom in its place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Let me, show you, let me tell you what God showed me in the scripture. Everything has a place and a path and a way in presence. Even lightning has a path in the presence of God. So you don't rebuke the lightning's existence, you rebuke the wrong path of it. Because you shift the atmosphere to this is the presence of God, not the presence of weather patterns. The weather patterns have a path according to his presence. Even the winds and the rain have a path. Jesus rebuking the storm. They were operating out of their design path. Because if they were in path, they would have never endangered Jesus and the disciples. Is this? Okay. And then he says, now that I have shown you natural examples, even wisdom has a path. He says, wisdom's path is the fear of God. The the idea that I fear a reality that operates out of presence. So you know what your answer is to to become a, a child who fears God? You say, I will seek presence so wisdom can flow into every situation. Jesus became man and showed us this. How, how, how did he have the wisdom to heal this paralytic that we just read about in Luke? Remember, he said, they said the presence of the Lord was here, and the paralyzed man ends up getting healed. Well, the rest of the story goes like this. He, for, it, it, Jesus is talking to the people that bring the paralyzed man in, and it says, he forgave their sins as a result the dead man came to life. He didn't speak healing over the dead man first. What did he do? He forgave the man's sin. 
he had the wisdom to forgive the man's sin before speaking, get up. Where did that wisdom come from? Presence. And what's funny is where this presence was, everyone in the room when the paralyzed man came in, they were being taught by Jesus. They weren't having a worship service. They were being taught. They were being raised up. And in that teaching and in that raising up, the presence of God was so thick in the room that when this paralyzed man came in, where the flesh would say, let's lay hand on him, Jesus simply said, you're forgiven. What religion does is try to make that normative. Religion will say, okay, church, we got to redesign how we heal people. Before we heal people, they have to be forgiven. No, no, no. This man's change was that he felt unworthy. And he was walking in sin. So he was forgiven. It might not be like that for every single healing story. When Colleen stood up out of her wheelchair this past resurrection year, no one laid hands on her and says, you're forgiven because you're a horrible, sinful woman. Maybe we should have, but... <laughs> no, no, no one did that. She, she, she was just worshiping in the presence. Literally, the, the, the band was in sound check and we started worshiping. The presence of God was so thick that she said she felt fire go from her head to her feet and she heard a, she felt something say, get up. And this woman in a wheelchair thought, okay, I'll stand. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's one example. But the, the, there are many, you cannot make this normative. It's about this. I am not going to try to understand how to heal someone. I'm not going to try to understand how to break someone out of demonic oppression. It's I'm going to get in the presence of God so that his wisdom out of my fear and need for presence flows through me. That is how you get a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Not because God give it to me, it's I'm in presence and whatever you want, to, whatever gift you want to flow, let it flow. That presence. Is this, is this okay? Presence. He, even understanding has a path. He says, you want to understand more in your life? Forsake evil. You get more understanding when you start to separate yourself from the evil things that are eating up your time, your energy, the evil things that you're giving your heart to. P people criticize some things I I've done in the church, like, you know, at corporately we don't, you know, we don't do the Halloween thing. Corporately we don't do the Easter thing. You do what you want, that's cool, but as the, 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 the person who is held accountable to this house I'm simply, my heart is, I want people to understand him more. So because I'm humbling myself to presence, I will forsake anything that for me even has a hint of evil things. I'm not trying to tell you you're right or wrong. I mean, I kind of am, but I, 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 I'm simply telling you, you know, chill out. I, I'm simply telling you my thinking. It's I want to separate from anything that could hinder understanding. And I can tell you 100%, the more I separate, the more I understand, and the deeper the teaching goes. Separate. Right? Humble yourself. 
I want God's desires more than the ones I grew up with. Is that okay? Okay, if it's not, just repent, you'll be saved. Some translations of Hosea 6.2 actually say, it doesn't just say he'll heal us and revive us. It says he will revive us after two days and raise up on the third. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus even in Hosea. It's interesting because God's word doesn't change, whether it's spoken from a man in the Old Testament or seen in a man in the New Testament. Imagine if we spoke like Hosea. Spoke the word that is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. Can you imagine getting to a place where we are so humble to our need for God that we were in a level of presence that allowed the power of God to come from your lips into any situation? People ask me things sometimes like, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes I I counsel married couples, and I get the biggest junk from people. Well, how can you counsel a married couple if you're single? Because I don't depend on the understanding of what it means to be married by experience. God, give me the words that I don't have. Give me the wisdom that I have not experienced. And maybe someday I'll take the advice. But it's, no one got that. It's, stop, stop. Let me say it like this. Stop limiting what you can speak into by what you've experienced. You want to know one of the biggest lies I, I embraced when I was younger? Let me build my testimony so I can be relatable. You know, we used to go into a recovery center every Saturday, and the guys would always say the same thing. How can you speak so much into us even though you've never been a drug addict or an alcoholic? Because I'm not trying to depend on my own understanding, right? That's where we all have to get. It's not what I've experienced, is have I humbled myself to presence, which is the ground for wisdom and understanding. I got to figure out how to get out of my situation. You want the knowledge and understanding how to get out of your situation? Forsake evil and get in presence. You give more time to reading things like chicken soup for the soul or the next cell. I know they haven't published one of those in like 20 years. That's all I got. We spend more time looking for the next big book, right? Which there's nothing wrong with reading. You know, it's, I'm sure it's fun. Get in the presence. It, it, it'll give you more insight even into the things you're reading. I don't want to be accused of rebuking people for reading books. <laughs> Am I driving the point home? Yes. Okay. Hosea understood this need for presence. In verse 3, he says, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Back in Hosea 4, God identified the problem of the people. He says, My people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. So here, when Hosea prays, he invites the presence of God in by shifting their pursuit. It's not, it's, it's God, let us know you. 
God, let us pursue you. God, we don't want any more knowledge of what has happened or what might happen. We just want to pursue you. We want to know you. Problem is, we pursue the knowledge of what others say about God instead of simply pursuing God. The pursuit of knowledge is rooted in this, God, I want to know you. If you want to start getting the knowledge of how to handle situations in your life, the answer is simply that there's a path for that knowledge. The path is knowing. The path is a relationship. Hebrews 11.6, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He rewards us. He exalts us from a certain flow. What's the flow? Be humble, free yourself from pride, and pursue knowing me. Why? He says, because the place I exalt you, you're only going to be able to arrive there by faith. Because I'm going to ask you to make moves that may not make sense to your own understanding. And what happens is people spend 10 years praying about, should, we, should I go, when God's already given you the answer? Should I make this move or should I not? And we get more caught up in letting my mind wrap around it rather than getting in the presence that you just get a knowing of him and a knowing of the answer and you no longer limit your decisions to logical sense. I'll say this. I think one of the biggest things that has hindered the church is that we have divorced theology from experience. We, We get caught up in man's interpretation of scripture and we never want to challenge it when we experience something real of course the the catch is you got to make sure that your experience lines up with the truth of his word it's not rewrite scripture but if you have a for instance like me i grew up in a baptist church so i grew up believing that there was no such thing as modern day spiritual gifts I had one encounter at a church in Hardyville, and instead of me discounting that thing, I started to shift my theology. Because when you get into a new level of presence, it reveals a new knowing that the knowing of yesterday may not have experienced. That's why we're, is, is this, is this, that's why we're entering in a day where we have seen the gifts of the pastor and the evangelist and the teacher restored, and now we're seeing an, uh, a, a reawakening of the prophet and the apostle. Many will say no because that doesn't match their theology. But if we will pursue a new level of presence, maybe the theology will shift with a new wind. Right? I, 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 I think I said this last week, but we have this thing online where if you have visions or dreams or all these things, you can actually go on there and share them. And I'm the only one that gets to read that. The reason for that is because if we're believing in the gifts of prophecy, I want to see a timestamp when stuff comes true. It'll help validate the gift. See, there's a stewarding of the wind by way of knowing what he wants us to do. 
by my own reasoning, there's never a reason to create an online forum of Share Your Vision. Never has been really in most modern churches. You know, most churches say, I had a vision. The pastor goes, oh, that's awesome. Right? But we've got to learn how to move with that wind. And you can't do it by finding a model that works. You have to humble yourself to, I need presence. To understand how to navigate in these uncharted waters. Good seed, good ground needs what? Good environment. Hosea says, God will respond. Just as the arrival of the sun and the rains. You think, the thing is, is that in Israel, they didn't have, you know, um, irrigation systems. They had to depend on a certain thing for the crops. Guess what? Rain. So he's saying, let us return. God is going to heal us. God is going to restore us as sure as the rains come. The thing is, in Israel, they knew the rains were coming. They anticipated the rain. So in the anticipation of rain, they prepared the ground to receive the rain. We should anticipate a new level of his presence we should anticipate a new manifestation and movement of the glory of God. And if we anticipate it to come, it's not praying just God pour it out. It's accompanying prayers of God pour it out will prepare the ground for the outpouring. And preparing the ground for outpouring looks like pushing the envelope of God, we need your presence in in the worship. So just to give you an example, a lot of times the worship team will start singing things where the lyrics are on the screen. That has been developed over time because they are learning how to flow with the wind of hearing lyrics, hearing choruses, hearing phrases. What religion will do is is we will be out here in the crowd going, where are the words, where are the words? Because we haven't understood that there's a wind blowing in presence. But we are preparing that ground for the day when God pours out in such a way we're so used to moving with the wind where we just get carried. I don't know what that was. <laughs> just we, we, we get moved by the wind because we are preparing the ground to be moved by the wind. It, Anticipation of the rain. In Acts chapter 3, there's a, it's not on the screen. See, this is moving by the wind. This isn't even my notes. In Acts chapter 3, I just wrote down Acts 3 when I was praying back there. I felt like God told me to speak on this. There's the picture of the man at the gate called Beautiful, and he's begging for money. And he needs, he needs to be healed. And I think it's Peter and I think it's John. Uh, I definitely know Peter. Um, but they're walking up to the temple and they see this man and when and he's sitting here begging for money and in some translations it even it has this picture that the man's begging like this 
you know, please give me something. I need sustenance. He, it, it even says he anticipates people giving him money. The issue is he's at a gate. Gates represent portals, opportunities, new things. He was anticipating the wrong thing. He was, at a, he was at the gates of the temple for the power of God to be poured out, and all he anticipated was meet my earthly need. And when the disciples walk up, the first thing they say to him is, look at us, or look up. Change the position of your anticipation. I think a lot of times in the church, we are accustomed to a religious practice of we know what to expect, so we come to church expecting, call to worship, a few songs, then there's going to be giving, then there's going to be a meet and greet, then there's going to be a sermon, then there's going to be people at the altar to pray, and then we're going to go home, and then we're going to eat, and that's all we anticipate. That is not being humble to presence. Can I challenge us to shift to a place where we come here, we don't anticipate the flow of a service. We anticipate a new wind that we are ready to run with. We anticipate God take it wherever you want it to go. And that comes from every single one of us individually getting before God in our, in our, in our relationship time of pursuing knowledge and where we say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm ready. And, and I believe God will test that. He'll say, okay, you ready? And he puts it in front of us, and instead of being willing to look for the opportunity, we're still looking down. We're looking down at when we go to the grocery store, we're there to buy groceries. You're not looking up at the opportunity that that grocery store may be a gate for an outpouring. You see, I, th I think looking down is the posture of I'm looking at what I'm used to, I'm looking at my rhythm. I'm looking at my flow. I'm looking at what I'm, what, what I'm going to this place for. What if we started shifting to understand that everything that we're a part of is actually a gate or an opportunity, and if we would just start to look up and say, I, I humble myself to your assignment, we'd start to learn how to shift with the wind. In his presence, he says, I will give you wisdom and understanding, but one that supersedes yours. So don't try to understand my understanding. Don't try to put your knowledge around my knowledge. I'm giving you, new, I'm giving you knowledge. I'm giving you understanding to shift your current one. Your understanding is that you cannot be healed, but mine is different. Right? Your understanding is that I have I have made all this stuff in your life happen. But a new understanding is he had a path. Like the lightning has a path. He had a path for you. But maybe things happened that took you out of the path. That was never a part of God's plan. And he says, if you will saturate yourself in knowing me, I will give you the wisdom and knowledge to get you in step. And you need to get you in the path. And you need my knowledge and wisdom to get you back in the path 
because you were never designed to operate in the path you're in. Okay. <clears throat> Acts 3, 19 through 21. Repent of your sins, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. From where? Presence. presence. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. He says, humble yourself, free yourself from pride, Get in a posture of repentance that invites his presence because it keeps you in a position of I need him. <coughs> Repent and turn, and then you'll be refreshed. Why? Because you're in the environment. You're in presence. Do that now and continue to do it until his presence restores all things. That's why he gives us gifts. That's why he gives us power. That's why he gives us authority. It's not to build us up, but to exalt him so that he can exalt us for the purpose of him, the purpose of his glory. And it's all rooted in presence. Now, what's interesting is that Hosea is praying all this stuff. We're learning humility. Got to be in the position of presence. But then, God, then God responds to this prayer, and he responds in a way that kind of is surprising. Because you're reading the scripture and you're like, okay, God's going to hear Hosea's prayer. And we're about to go into the part of Hosea where God's going to be like, all right, Israel. Just like judges, right? Not exactly. It says this in verses 4 through 6. Oh, Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Ask the Lord. Your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want to show you love. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want your offerings. He's telling the people, how do I respond to this? You were faithful, but your faithfulness disappears just like dew and sunlight. You're faithful one minute, you're not the next. That doesn't sound like any, any of us. He says, and he says, I want you to hear me. I want your heart above your sacrifice. I want you to know me more than me getting your offerings. You continue to try to use what you can bring to my table to replace relationships. I fear that this is where the church is at as a whole. We do all the temple stuff with no relationship. We come to temple and sing the songs. No relationship. We come to temple, if you will, and give our tithes and offerings. There's no relationship. And he says, I don't want your songs as much as I want you. I don't want your offerings as much as I want your heart. It's not that he doesn't tell us to do those things, but he says it's empty without relationship. It's empty if you are not seeking a knowing of me. God tells the people, I hear you, but what do you want me to do? I've given you the word. I've given you the prophets. I'm telling you I'm going to let you rot until you gasp for me, and you still are not faithful to me. You know what he's telling the people? You cannot fake presence. And we have to humble ourselves to the truth that our worship is worthless unless it's rooted in relationship. 
And we cannot center our relationship with God around the religious constructs of what we call an altar call. I'm not saying to do away with it. Absolutely not. But don't center your lives around, I need to get to church for someone to pray over me. No, what you need to do is shift the environment that you live in by pursuing and knowing him. I'm miserable at work because presence is not there. I'm having issues in my marriage. Now, that's a catchy one. Because one could argue, well, you, you, there's, there's this marital issue, and one person seeking God, the other isn't. But they're not seeking doesn't validate you to stop. Because even in miserable times, seeking God will bring a fruit of joy in the most horrible circumstances that helps you to endure. Is this too tough? Okay. At some point, we've got to begin to walk in relationship, and by way of relationship, a presence is invited that expels anything not of him. And when stuff is expelled that is not of him, we're led into pathways, as Job said. There's a path for all things. You know what Psalm 23 calls those paths? Paths of righteousness. And if you're not inviting his presence by way of giving him your heart, you'll walk down contrary paths. Hosea pleaded and humbled himself. And God's response is bringing out how just his judgment is. You know what God actually says? He says, you're not qualified for my goodness. But we, on the other side of the cross... We've been made right. And Jesus says, you can't qualify, but I qualified you. But we often reject it, just like Israel and Judah. I ask tonight, when will the church have a heart like Hosea to stand up and say, even though we are just, we humble ourselves to cry out, cry out on behalf of. No longer God save my husband, but God, I cry out on behalf of, right? Not just, God, show yourself to my children, but God, I cry out on behalf of. You are a representative, an ambassador. Can you imagine what God would respond with if we got to a place where we just saturated in presence and prepared the ground? I believe his response would be rain pouring out whatever he needs to pour out for the healing, for the restoration, for the mending. Hosea pleads on behalf of the nation, and God says, here's why the nation's rotting. He says, let us return to you, God. Let us do this. Let us do that. And God says, the people trust in their outward observance of, a, of ritual rather than pursuing me. They, they are depending on their ritual. They are not depending on knowing me. I want you to know me. I want you to know my presence. And then at the end of the, of, of the chapter, God says, but like Adam, you broke my covenant. You betrayed my trust. Gilead's a city of sinners, trapped with footprints of blood. Listen to this now. Priests form bands of robbers waiting in ambush for their victims. They murder travelers along the road to Shechem and practice every kind of sin. 
The people of God has just gone completely crazy. Yes, I have seen something horrible in Ephraim and Israel. My people are defiled by prostituting themselves with other gods. O Judah, a harvest of punishment is also waiting for you, though I wanted to restore the fortunes of my people. God sees everything they were doing, and he says, my word is going to do one of two things, bring death to the sin or the sinner. And he says, you choose. This good prophet is crying out on behalf of a people. And God has this response that seems a little weird. Like, isn't this, it isn't that, that, that is God rejecting Hosea's prayer? Is God saying, Hosea, your prayers are pointless because this is what's going on with my people? Because I think sometimes we feel like that, right? You're, you're, you're praying for your, your kids or you're praying for your spouse. You're praying for your mothers and fathers. You're praying for your, your family. You're praying for the nation. And, and it's like, God, when are you going to hear my prayers, right? That we, we, Sometimes we are in this place that Hosea is in. And I believe that it's not that God is rejecting Hosea's prayers. It's that God is revealing the separation as Hosea cries out. As I wrote it down like this, as we cry out to God in order to enter into presence, we have to be willing to allow him to reveal anything he needs that exposes the reason their separation for the purpose of entering in. I hear your prayers. Here's the separation. I hear your prayers. This is what's going on. So it gives us a knowledge, an understanding, a wisdom that we could not give by our own understanding, which gives us even more strategy to pray into the thing. God, why won't they come home? Why won't they be free? I don't understand. You want to know how you get understanding? It's not frustration. It's presence. Because I can tell you frustration is the wrong environment. You want me to prove it to you? Read the middle of Job. That whole book could have been like 30 chapters less had he just said yes. But that's where we're at. Situations come that we don't understand and we look to our own understanding to blame or to find a reason where he says, if you want understanding, all you got to do is seek me more. Know me. Know my heart. I want your heart. I want relationship. I want you to be in my presence. When we don't intentionally walk in a way to invite presence, we allow ourselves to develop thinking that brings about wrong paths. Is this, is, has this been okay? Yeah. I'm going to close with this. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If we could just get that. Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. When someone crosses you, this is how you respond. How do I love them? 
why has that become so hard for a church that supposedly seeks the Father? Right? If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirement of all of God's laws. The commandments say you must not commit adultery. Because if you do, you don't have what? Love. You must not murder, because if you do, you didn't have what? Love. You mustn't steal, you mustn't covet, because you didn't love them to celebrate what they have. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This passage goes on to say time is running out and we're not to participate in evil things or immoral living. And then he closes Romans 13 with this. Verse 14. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The biggest battles in your mind He just gave you the key to getting your mind to submit to God's will versus evil desires. He says, clothe yourself with my presence. Be renewed by the transformation of your mind. How? In the right environment and presence. Because I don't know about you, but I know people that can quote this Bible that don't have the love of God. Because it's one thing to, 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 to... get good seed in good ground that he's made good but if it's not in the right environment it ain't going to take root it's not going to produce fruit it's it's the good seed and presence this whole passage God responds to Hosea pleading on behalf of the people what God is actually doing he's actually in agreement with Hosea God says it's not that I don't want to bless you it's the people won't allow me to So he says, stop rejecting me and invite me. Give me your heart. And church, when we start to do that individually, the corporate gathering is nothing but a presence where anything that is dark or evil does not stand a chance. We've got to move away from we need to do the things of church to get ourselves right and understand that he made you right and you can never do that. And because he made us right, we just simply want to seek a relationship with him that invites his presence. And as he told the people, I I want my presence to flow. But you believe in the horoscope more than my promises. You got more relationship with social media than you do with living, breathing people. He said, "I I want to pour out, but you're not letting me. I I want to take you to new levels of knowledge and wisdom. But the only time you worship is when you're around people that look at you worshiping. I want to take you to a new place. But you won't let me. It's a good presence. Everything we need is in presence. It's... Sure, there's, there's teaching and there's word, and but, but it's nothing without being rooted in presence. Because we, we, can, we can gain the knowledge of our own understanding. 
But we've got to be willing for our understanding to, to move with the correct winds. Which, which it, the more I understand this, moving with the right wind is simply allowing a new formation of a wineskin that will receive new wine. Because we're not trying to tell God what the wineskin looks like. We're allowing him to mold us into a wineskin we have not seen. I caught myself doing this this week. There's a lot of things going on in this church that everyone's pretty much leading, and I don't have to be at everything. It's, it's a new day for me. And I, I'm learning how to steward that well as a leader. So I heard some wisdom this week about get the position of 30,000 feet up and look down and start asking God what's next. Here's where I messed up. I started watching different YouTube videos, YouTube videos on church structure and, and church this and church that. And as I was watching all this stuff, God just said, what are you doing, kid? I'm taking you to places where there are no videos, son. And I was like, don't call me son. And in all seriousness, he reminded me, you are my son. Sons and daughters of the living God. And I think we got to stop saying, God, show us the right model and start saying, God, show me, the, show me where no one's gone yet. Stop, stop telling God that your family can't based off of your family's past, right? Stop saying that you're not worthy based off your lifestyle. You are worthy if you will just shift your life to the understanding of how to get in the right path, which comes from presence, the good presence. He's got plans for you. He's got purpose for you. He's got purpose for us. It, 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 it's, it's been such an amazing past couple of weeks hearing the testimonies in this house. And there was something special today about praying in the park. And, and you know, something God revealed to me today, you know, it's, it, it would be really easy to get frustrated that the whole church was in the park. But it's kind of interesting because there's about 200 people that call this church home. And at, the, at first, 20 people came because the 20 represented what 20 and 200 is a tithe. There is a representation of the house. It, it, it's encouraging knowing that we're no longer obsessed with putting on a good organization or good show or trying to posture ourselves as the coolest church. It, it's, it's just simply, God, we want your presence. And I mean this 100%. As much money as we poured into this place, if God told us tomorrow to leave the building, give it to a church, and start worshiping on a lawn somewhere, I fully believe that we would all simply say, yes. He hasn't told me that. <laughs> but it would be hard to understand something like that, right? So how do we prepare the ground to be willing to shift presence? Let's stand. Can we give God praise for just how good He is? Presence. There's going to be altar workers up here.
Maybe you're at a place where you've realized that you're operating out of presence and you just need some agreement. After I say amen, hey, if you want to hang around and talk, there's, there's a big facility out there. Go talk, but allow people to get here before God and just worship him, get prayers of agreement. I, I, I want to tell everyone in this place that God sees you. Hear me out. God sees you. He sees, he sees the you that it's the you that he created, but he also sees the you that you've created. And he says, to get in the path of my creation, all you need to do is invite me in. Hear that. You don't need to get your life right. It's invite him in that leads you down right paths. He just wants you. So give yourself to him. Lord, we thank you for your good presence. That the knowledge and understanding we need to move into this new season where a, a revival sparks in this area that is indicative of a people who are just obsessed with you, God. All we need is to walk in your presence. So, Lord, as, as we, we cry out. Can we just say that together? We cry out on behalf of America on behalf of this world. We cry out on behalf of our families. We cry out on behalf of the church. And we say, Lord, let us return to you. Let us know you more. God, we want your presence in every area. Let it, let it burn up the bad and consume the good so that all that is left is what you want, God. And we don't need our logic. We just need your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for making us right to be in that position. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit that we have the authority to speak these words on behalf. Father, you love us. We give you honor and praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Love you guys. This altar is open. I hope I see you tomorrow.